You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. What innovative techniques can help physicians and other long-term care team members best manage patients with Parkinson's? Joining us to discuss caring for patients with Parkinson's in long-term care is Dr. Herbert Sear, Associate Chief of Geriatrics and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine and Vice President of Medical Affairs at the nonprofit community organization CJE Senior Life in Chicago, Illinois. Herb, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's really great to be here with you today. Oh, it's fun. We're going to have a good time talking about Parkinson's disease in long-term care settings. And there is a lot of Parkinson's out there. What are some of the unique issues related to Parkinson's in our long-term care patients? Well, Eric, there are basically two populations of older adults who come to long-term care, specifically nursing homes. First, there are individuals who are living at home by themselves or with support from others who develop a medical illness, a fall and a fracture, pneumonia, uh, urine infection, and become deconditioned and are admitted to an acute care hospital, are there for several days, then they improve and are not yet ready to return home. So they may return to a long-term subacute nursing home facility for subacute rehabilitation. That usually lasts for a week or two weeks and then they're able to get home. So that's one subgroup that we care for in nursing home populations. Secondly, there are individuals with Parkinson's who are very frail, often have neuropsychiatric problems with dementia, sometimes behavioral issues, and are in nursing homes for the remainder of their lives. And there are two distinct populations. The latter population, we're often dealing with quality of life and end-of-life care issues as the illness progresses. And in the subacute, we're really trying to fine-tune them and get them back home. So when we think of the long-term care, we have to gravitate to what our goals of therapy are. In each of the populations, we're trying to improve and maintain ability to walk, transfer, and ambulate. We're very concerned about many of the non-motor issues of Parkinson's in the frail older adult with Parkinson's. A lot of Parkinson's begins in the 60s and 70s, and most people who remain at home, about 5 to 10% of frail elderly end up in a nursing home with their Parkinson's and other related comorbidities. Let's talk about that group that comes in and hope springs eternal, where we really want to get them out. Some of them don't succeed. We know that. But what techniques do you guys employ that really tries to identify those people who are going to benefit from an acute rehabilitative service and get them home quicker rather than later? Excellent question. One of the main things is to make the diagnosis. Often people are admitted from hospitals without a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, and we make the diagnosis in the long-term care facility. Often they have so many other illnesses that it's overlooked. 75% of Parkinson's disease is the more classic variety that presents in the 60s with uh, asymmetrical onset of tremor, uh, rigidity, and bradykinesia. But in the old, old, a lot of times it's secondary to medications or to small strokes. And in that subpopulation, sometimes the diagnosis is not made. One of the things that we really try to do is tackle the problem by having an interdisciplinary approach. Uh, We always talk about that in geriatrics, that geriatrics is a team sport 
but Parkinson's is a shining example of that. So if an individual, for example, 75-year-old man was at home living by himself and then uh, fell down and broke his hip and got admitted to the acute hospital, when they got to the nursing home, we'd very much want to make sure that we know whether they have Parkinson's or not. Obviously, sometimes they do come with that diagnosis, but often they might come with a diagnosis of hip fracture, or pneumonia, urine infection. So when that patient with hip fracture comes to the nursing home and we have the diagnosis that they have some form of Parkinson's, then we want to practice this team sport and look at the person in entirety, and that would include the following. We want to make sure that they can swallow okay, and so we're very concerned about swallowing because that's a big issue with individuals with Parkinson's and that they can maintain adequate nutrition and either restore or maintain their weight and not lose weight. We also are concerned about osteoporosis. And in the nursing home, we're not going to immediately order a DEXA scan, but we probably would either empirically start that individual on at least 1,000 units of vitamin D a day or get a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level, and if it's super low, even start them on larger doses of ergocalciferol at 50,000 units a week for uh, two months and then recheck the level. We also are very interested in the ability to transfer and ambulate, so physical therapy and occupational therapy interdisciplinary involvement to make sure the person can walk safely either with or without an assistive device and to try to make sure that their home environment via occupational therapy is safe. We're also very interested in cognitive and psychiatric issues. So we would do careful mental status exam and probably a Folstein mini mental state and also look at the instrument at CAM to look for any evidence of an underlying delirium. A lot of times older man who fractures his hip and gets surgery with Parkinson's and then comes to the subacute facility three or four days later may not be back to their normal mental status. And they may have what we call a delirium, which is an acute confused state. And we want to recognize that that's there and then try to work on improving sleep-wake cycles, getting them out of bed, orienting them as much as possible, make sure they have bright lights in their room uh, during the day and not a lot of lights at night, not a lot of interruptions at night with vital signs to let them sleep so that they'll be awake during the day. We want to make sure that we have the correct medications that they're taking and also the correct dosages and timing interval. Parkinson's disease meds are always a challenge even for the outpatient who lives at home, but for the frail elderly in nursing homes who've just been in a hospital setting, management of these medications becomes even more important. So those are some of the things that we we start to look at. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss caring for patients with Parkinson's in long-term care is Dr. Herbert Sear, Associate Chief of Geriatrics and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine and Vice President of Medical Affairs at the nonprofit community organization CJE Senior Life in Chicago, Illinois. We've been talking about the multidisciplinary approach to the care of the Parkinson's patient, and I'm particularly interested in how we recruit all of these different disciplines into quickly assessing the patient, especially after a fall and fracture, when the clock is ticking on the amount of days we have available to rehabilitate them. Herb, your thoughts? Well, it starts with a physician. There is a rule that when a patient is admitted to a subacute nursing home unit, that they should be seen within 72 hours of admission. But I always like to have certainty 
that our physicians are seeing them within 24 to 48 hours to make sure that all of the transfer medications are appropriate and that there's not going to be an iatrogenic problem from chaos on the handoff. It's essential also that the nurses and the certified nursing assistants have an understanding of the Parkinsonian patient. The therapists usually at our facility, the Lieberman Home in Skokie, Illinois, usually within 24 hours of admission will have a PT and OT, and within 48 to 72 hours we'll have a speech therapy evaluation. But often where things fall down in the nursing home in an interdisciplinary fashion is with the nurse's aides and the nurses. And by that I mean the nurse's aides are the profession that spends the most time with the Parkinson's patient, or with any patient for that matter. And Parkinson's patient moves slowly, and sometimes their slowness in thought and slowness in movement can be misinterpreted as not going along with the plan or being confused when it just may be slowness. And through a grant at CJE Senior Life through the Braun Foundation, we have just initiated a program the last two years working with the Cognitive Neurology Parkinson's Center of Excellence at Northwestern and with the Rehab Institute of Chicago to develop learning modules on DVD to train all the professionals down to the certified nursing assistants about Parkinson's. And we're just in the launching phase of having the educational programs from the modules we've developed. And so I think it's key that either through our mechanism or through in-services that certified nursing assistants understand the needs of a Parkinson's patient. And also I think it's very important that the nurses understand the issue of timing of medications because some of the problems that arise deal with motor fluctuations, on-off phenomena, and dyskinesias that often relate to the timing of the medication. So we try to educate the nurses about that issue also. Now, I want to tease out one more piece as well, and that's the identification, not of the delirium, which you've covered very well, but there's a lot of dementia in advanced Parkinson's disease too. How do you go through sorting that out so that, again, you optimize your opportunity to help these individuals in a short period of time? Well, Eric, there are different kinds of non-reversible dementias in the ambulatory older adult or in the nursing home, and basically there are three main varieties of non-reversible dementias. Uh, The first is Alzheimer's, which makes up about 50%. Uh, Second would be vascular dementias, which makes up about 20-25%. And then the third category would be dementias related to Parkinson's. And there are two kinds of ways to look at Parkinson's dementia. One is when the dementia occurs within a year of the Parkinsonian rigidity. We call that Lewy body dementia. And then we clinically classify dementias that occur in Parkinson's patients greater than a year later, so 5, 10, 15 years later, 20 years later, as Parkinson's disease with dementia. Under the microscope, they look very similar with intracytoplasmic inclusions called Lewy bodies in the substantia nigra. But with dementia, uh, the Lewy bodies are also in different cortical and limbic areas. There can also be overlap in the Parkinson's patient who's had Parkinson's disease for a while and then gets dementia 15, 20 years later. You can have Parkinson's with Lewy bodies plus Alzheimer's, or you can have Parkinson's plus vascular dementia too. The Lewy body dementia clinically presents with fluctuating levels of arousal early on, frequent gait impairment and falling early on, a lot of psychiatric issues with visual hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia. And when an individual is admitted with Lewy body or the Parkinson's dementia, there are two classes of medicines that we consider the individual may need. 
first with Parkinson's dementia, although we think in Parkinson's of a deficiency of the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is clearly present in Lewy body dementia or Parkinson's disease of dementia, but there's also a significant deficiency in the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, which is thought to be the major neurotransmitter deficiency in Alzheimer's disease. But the deficiency in acetylcholine is actually even greater in the Parkinson's patient with dementia than in Alzheimer's disease. So they do seem to respond to acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. And the one that has been studied the most in the medical literature is rivastigmine, which comes in pill or patch, although other studies have also shown that denepazil or Aricept also works for the Parkinson's patient also. And that helps sometimes with behavioral issues and agitation a little bit. So if there are no contraindications, we often make sure that the Lewy body or Parkinson's dementia patient is on one of those medications. If agitation and hallucinations are significant, causing a lot of distress to the patient or to families and cannot be managed by behavioral means alone, then we will often use an atypical antipsychotic. Now, the atypical antipsychotics, as well as the typical antipsychotics, have an FDA black box warning that these classes of medicines are not really recommended in individuals with dementia and agitation because meta-analyses have shown that there's a 1.6 to 2 times relative risk increase of mortality dying on these classes of medicines with dementia. But sometimes if the agitation is so severe, there's not much we can do. Haldol, which is a typical antipsychotic, and two of the atypicals, respiratol and alonzapine, can worsen Parkinson's disease itself. So when we use an antipsychotic, we'll often use the atypical antipsychotic quetiprene or Seroquel, usually in small doses starting at 12.5 to 25 milligrams, either at night or once or twice during the day. Clozeril is the gold standard antipsychotic that's been most studied in Parkinson's patients, but unfortunately that can cause a granulocytosis. So usually we try Seroquel first and then occasionally, but not commonly, you have to go to Clozeril and then monitor the CBC weekly for six months and then every other week thereafter if you use that agent. Well, I would like to thank my guest from Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, Dr. Herbert Sear. Herb, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.